And peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. You may be seated. We'll begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have revealed to us Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Lord, on this day we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see Jesus, to hear his word, and to be strengthened in our faith. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. What sort of message do you want to hear from God? Second question, what sort of message do you need to hear from God? To get after these questions today, I, I want to take a look back at, at two very significant books written in the mid to late 19th century. They're, they're French novels written in the, 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 the long shadow of Napoleon and the French Revolution and all the upheaval uh, in that part of the world. Uh, the first book is a book uh, by a guy named, um, uh, I just forgot the name, there you go, that's great, uh, Alexander Dumas called The Count of Monte Cristo. And the other book is called Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Perhaps you've read these books or seen uh, the movies based off of these books. But in each of these books, the heroes of the novel encounter a priest. And these priests embody two types of messages. One that we want to hear and the other that we need to hear. So we're going to start today with The Count of Monte Cristo. This is a novel, it's actually one of my favorite novels. It, uh, it features a hero by the name of, of Dante. Now, now Dante is a guy who is uh, framed by a jealous shipmate. He is accused of being in conspiracy with Napoleon. And this is a capital crime at this time, and so Dante, despite his pretty much innocent situation, is thrown into this terrible prison where he is, he is kept on this island, and he is he's somewhat isolated. But through various circumstances, he becomes friends with another one of the inmates. And this inmate is a priest. Now, this is no mere priest. He is no mere sort of theologian of the Bible. This is a priest of all the Enlightenment ideals. He knows geography and, and math. He knows philosophy. He knows history. He knows all of these amazing things. And what they do while they are in prison is this priest sort of gives the treasures of all of his knowledge to Dante. Then he tells Dante that if he ever gets out of this prison, there's an island with a hidden treasure. And that treasure would all belong to Dante if he were to be able to find it. And then he gives him a map and shows him how to get there. Well, sure enough, Dante escapes from this prison. He goes to the island. He has all of this knowledge, and now he has a vast amount of wealth. And with all of the knowledge of the world and all the wealth he could possibly ever want, he becomes a count, and he goes back to the place where he was betrayed, and he enacts judgment and vengeance upon his enemy. Now, we'll stop here. That's the sort of priest, that's the sort of message that we want. See, we all sort of see ourselves a bit like Dante's, victims of our circumstances. That if we just had a little bit more education and if we just had a little bit more funding, we might be able to finally solve all of our problems. What's our problem? Our circumstances. We're victims. We just don't know enough. We just don't have enough. If we could 
Get all of that stuff. All of our problems could be solved. So we need a message that shows us how to arrive there. We need a messenger who can give us this sort of knowledge. A priest of source who teaches us the ways of the world. Teaches us who our enemies are and how we can overcome them. Teaches us how to live a happier and healthier life. One who guides and enlightens. And if they could give us a little financial advice, that would be pretty helpful too. That's what we think we need. That's what we want. We're simply victims of our circumstances. Who need some education and funding. So that's the first message and that's what we think we need. But then we come uh, to Les Mis, and here we get a different sort of situation with a different sort of story. In this novel, we encounter a priest uh, who has no value in worldly, who finds no value in worldly wealth, who really finds no value in the things of this world at all, except he does have these two silver candlesticks that he loves a great deal. They, they, they have some sentimental value in his life, and they matter very much to him. They're very valuable uh, to him, and they're very valuable because they're made of silver. Well, this particular priest, one evening, is having dinner when he encounters a guy uh, by the name of Jean Valjean. Now, Jean Valjean is an ex-con. He has uh, been set free from prison, but now he is yet again in trouble with the law, and so he is fleeing from the law. And he comes to this priest's home for refuge. There he is given food and drink and shelter. He is put up, he is housed, and he is cared for by this priest. But while they're having dinner, Jean Valjean notices that the silverware he is using is very valuable. And so he comes up with a plan. He's going to steal the silverware. So that night when the priest goes to bed, Jean Valjean goes out, he steals the silverware, throws it in his bag, and heads out the door. But he'd been tracked by the law. So the police find him and they arrest him. They bring him back to the priest so that the priest can give an accusation, so the priest can judge him, and they can bring Jean Valjean back where he belongs, back to prison. And so there Jean Valjean stands at the door with the hard uh, grip of the law upon his shoulders. He is in shame and guilt for what he has done. And the priest sees him, and the priest looks upon him, and the priest says this. He sees his silverware, and he says, Oh! My friend, you forgot the candlesticks. And he gives Jean Valjean the most precious and valuable thing he has, the silver candlesticks. But what's more, he gives him something even more precious and valuable. He gives him grace. He doesn't condemn Jean Valjean. He doesn't even give him instructions on, on how to clean himself up and live a better life. No, he shows him mercy and compassion and grace. He sees the guilty man standing before him, sinful under the crushing reality of the law. And he does something apart from the law. He shows him mercy. That's the second sort of message that we hear about today. And the second sort of message I want you to think about today. And it's not the message we necessarily want, but it's the message, I believe, that God knows that we need. A message that doesn't just give us mere instruction and guidance, but actually delivers the forgiveness of sin. Now, we don't want to admit that we need that sort of message. We don't want to say we want that sort of message, because in order to admit that, you have to acknowledge the fact that you and I are Jean Valjean. Guilty. Under the condemnation of the law. We want to think of ourselves as Dante's, victims of our circumstances, who just need a little more guidance. 
here's the problem. You give sinners like us a little more guidance and a little more money, we'll just figure out how to use it for sinful ways on a much grander scale. That's how we work. See, the reality is, just as Jean Valjean was a criminal who knew how to commit crimes, we are sinners who know how to sin. We don't need mere guidance. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. We need a new birth, quite frankly. And as much as we want the glory and riches and knowledge of Dante, what we need is Jean Valjean's candle. And the Lord knows this. So today, in our reading, he gives us John the Baptist, a preacher of the second sort of method, a preacher who hands over the candle. John, now, now, John the Baptist, he could have been the first kind of priest, right? I mean, this is John the Baptist. Jesus says, this is the greatest man ever born of a woman. Nobody knew God's word really better than John the Baptist. If we're looking for a leader to follow, if we're looking for someone who has insight on the way and how we should conduct ourselves in this world, we should look to John the Baptist. Here is a guy who could both impress and terrify kings at the exact same time. When people came to him repenting of their sins, he would show them the right way to live. He would show them how to conduct their lives, how to pursue justice and love in this world. If we're looking to follow anybody, we want to follow John. To be sure, he's a little odd. He's a little off-putting. But honestly, who doesn't enjoy a little crazy from time to time? Eccentrics are really the most fun sort of leaders, aren't they? So what does he have to say? We want the keys. We want the secrets to be pleasing to God in this world. What do we need to do, John? And John says, don't look at me. I, I'm not here on my behalf at all. I need to get out of the way. Later on in the reading in, the gospel of John, in, the, in John's gospel, he says, there's Jesus. He must increase, and I must decrease. He takes that blessed finger and he points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John hands over the candlesticks. He gives us Jesus Christ, the forgiver of sinners. He doesn't give us this sort of weak worldly knowledge, nor does he show us a way to gain spiritually corroding wealth. No, he gives us the candlesticks, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The very Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Now, God knows that this is what we need. We need this lamb. Lamb is a funny kind of nickname to give to somebody. You don't think of lambs as being powerful and mighty. Like when we look at weak people in the world and we say, that person's nothing more than a follower, what do we call them? We say they're a sheep, right? We don't, we don't exalt lambs. It's hard for us to conceive of lambs sitting on thrones. When we think of a lamb, even in light of the Old Testament, we think of a lamb that's being put on an altar. That was the job of the priests. They would, they would take these sheep, these lambs, and they would, they would put them on the altar, and they would slaughter them on behalf of the people. Those sheep would die in the stead of sinners. And God knows that's exactly what we need. And so he sends us his Jesus, his very lamb, who comes to take away our sins. I found a quote to this end online the other day, and I, can't, I couldn't find it as I was trying to prepare the sermon. So I'm probably going to get it a little bit wrong, but you'll get the gist of it. If you know this quote and you know who wrote it, please tell me so I can give due credit where it is due. Uh, but this is what the quote says. If we needed healing, God would have sent us a doctor. If we needed power, God would have sent us a political leader. 
If we needed guidance, God would have sent us a teacher. If we needed food, God would have sent us a cook. But we need forgiveness. So God sent us Jesus Christ to be our Savior, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you and I, we're sinners who come here this morning, and God knows exactly what you and I need. So today, let me put the candlesticks in your hand. And behold, the Lamb of God has come to be a sacrifice for you, and he has taken away all of your sins. God knows that's exactly what you need, and so he gives it to you. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. We pray. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, that you have given us exactly what we need your Son, to be our Savior. Lord God, we do pray that at all times our faith would be found not in ourselves and in our ability, but always in the very Lamb who takes away our sins. Keep us ever faithful to you in this end, to this end. In Jesus' name, amen.